Hello, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome this morning. If this is your first time with us, a big welcome to you, whether you're online or in the room. Uh, it's a great joy to see you. And those who maybe haven't been for a while and are back with us this morning, it's so good to see you. Um, we've got loads going on, as you've just seen on the screen, but there's even more taking place. In a few weeks' time, the very last weekend in October, on Saturday the 30th and Sunday the 31st, we are holding a special weekend, which we're calling Times of Refreshing. And we got Rachel Hickson with us for the weekend. And so she's just a beautiful prophetic voice, um, real covering over the life of so many leaders across the nations. And we're looking forward to that. There'll be Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening events. And then Sunday, she'll be here for both services. And then Sunday evening, she'll be doing a special evening gathering as well. So maybe just frame that in your diaries and just create some space to participate in what I believe is going to be a very special time. Um, a bit of a picture that I have of what God's doing right now in the life of the church. That, I, As you've heard me say, I believe there is a time of refreshing that's coming on the people of God. And I almost feel right now that whatever shape we've been, whatever shape our hearts and our lives have been up till now, whatever shape the church has been up till now, that God is putting us in the fire, in the furnace, and that there's a malleability that comes out of that furnace experience. Your hard metal goes soft in that environment. And you've seen a blacksmith come in and striking the metal and making that metal into a shape that's fit for its next use, for its next season. And I believe that the Spirit of the Lord this morning is wanting to continue to just cause the Word of God to hammer us into the shape, not to beat us up, but to prepare us, to help shape us into the next stage of what He's got for us. And you know that in that season of the blacksmith where it comes out of the furnace, that there is a time, uh, is time sensitivity to that, that if that is not taken advantage of, but that moment of softness of the material, then it's no longer able to be shaped. And I believe there's a season and there's a time right now on the church that God is taking this season and time to prepare us and shape us and to bring us into the furnace of his love so that our hearts will be melted into his image. We are in a series called The Glory of God, and this morning we are continuing this. Our church vision is revealing the glory of God to the southwest and beyond, and these last three weeks we've been looking at revealing the glory of God. First two weeks we looked at what the glory of God is, and then last week we looked at the glory of God in fellowship. Fellowship with the Spirit, uh, we call that solitude that we need that in our lives, we need to withdraw, we need some space where we pull away from all our other support structures and we spend time with God alone and we all need that in our lives. And then we also looked at um, fellowship with authentic community. That's a fellowship with the people of God. And when you've got authentic fellowship with the Spirit, it strengthens your authentic fellowship with a community. And when you've got authentic community you're in fellowship with, it strengthens your solitude with the Spirit. And that that's a recycled sort of um, system that God puts in our lives. And if we're going to experience the glory of God, we need both of those things within each of our experiences. But our key text has been Habakkuk 2.14. And it says this promise. For as the waters fill the sea... The earth will be filled with an awesome and an awareness of the glory of God. As the waters fill the sea, the sea is wet, there's no doubt about that. The earth right now, there's a lot of people who are not aware of the glory of God, but they will. Yeah. There, there's a time coming, and you and I, the church, are the plan and the purpose of God to reveal the glory of God to the nations. And so we are looking at the glory of God. God's glory doesn't stay still. It's been a mistake of past moves of the Spirit. God has made no mistake, but the church has. There have been times when people have genuinely stepped into something of a newness of what the Spirit of God has been doing, but instead of noticing the Spirit move on, they have stayed with the old move of God. And there are many evidences of that today. There are many denominations that started out in a fresh move of the Spirit. Think of the Great Awakening where the Methodist Church was birthed out of that season of time of the extraordinary things that God was doing through like the Wesley Brothers and Whitfield. It's a phenomenal time. 
But so often we get stuck in those moments and we fail to see that the Spirit is he's not a stagnant Spirit. He's a moving Spirit. He's, he's in activity. He's always doing things. And so the last move of God that you and I experience may not look like the next move of God. And if we're looking for what happened last time, we may miss what's happening today and tomorrow. And God's not called us to stay still. God's called us to follow. Discipleship means follower. And we are called to follow primarily Jesus and his spirit and all that they're doing on the face of the earth today. And we see an example of this, that the glory of God, as I've mentioned previous weeks, being resembled in something of this cloud that guided the Israelites in the day and the pillar of fire by night, that it didn't stay in the same place, it moved. Let's look at the verses that demonstrate this for us in Exodus 13. It says in verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. But if someone had got separated from that group, and their last memory of where the pillar of cloud or fire was a year ago was where they went to, they'd find that there was nothing there. Because the pillar was moving. And it wasn't that the pillar was following the people. The people were following the pillar. And we are called not to say, God, would you bless us? God, would you just accompany us in all we're doing? We are called to say, God, where are you going? And how can we follow you? How can we accompany you and what you're up to in the earth today? But you and I know that there are promises given in the scriptures that the Lord does indeed go with us. In fact, maybe you've prayed, God, would you accompany me today in all that I do? It's a promise that we see in multiple places. In fact, we see that cry of Moses. He said, in fact, God, if you personally don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. We want you to be with us. But let's look at some of these promises of the accompanying spirit of God with us. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, have I not commanded you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a great promise. And he wasn't saying be strong and courageous because of your mighty army, because of your experience. It was because of the presence of God that was promising to be with them. We read other promises. We read in Isaiah 41. It says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And then another promise that came out of the mouth of Jesus himself. In Matthew 28, when he was commissioning his disciples, he said these words, Therefore, go and make disciples, followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Say after me, sure. sure. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can be sure that he is with us. But did you notice that in each of these promises that were given to Joshua, to Isaiah, and to followers of Jesus, did you notice the context? The context was that they were all God saying, I'm going to be with you as you go. Joshua was about to contend in a battle, multiple battles, to step into the promised land that God had given the Israelites. And as he was about to step into that, God was saying, I'm going to be with you. Because God is a mission God. He's a God on the move. He's a God that goes ahead of us. Isaiah, this was a time of great chaos in the nation. It was a time where much was not as people would hoped it would be. There was lots of judgment on the land because the people had gone away from the Lord. But Isaiah was assuring the people of Israel that even though world events looked chaotic and overwhelming, that God was with them. And he wasn't just with them, but he is outworking his purposes because he's busy and at work, you know. 
God's not sitting on the sidelines thinking, I wonder what I'll do today. He has a plan. He has a plan for the nations. He has a plan for your life. And you may not be aware of it, but I want you to know he has a plan. He always has a plan. He always knows what he's doing. He always knows where he's going. He's not scratching his head over COVID and saying, oh no, I wasn't expecting this. He knows exactly what he's doing. And there's a plan. If we go to the book of Revelation, we see the end of the plan. For a time on this earth, but he knows exactly what he's doing. God has promised to be with us even to the end of the age. And then Jesus, as he was commissioning his disciples, what was he commissioning them to do? He was commissioning them to go to make followers of Jesus, to make disciples. His assurance of his accompanying presence is in the context of going. The glory of God is active, he's moving, he's leading. He's preparing a way. He's setting a scene. He's conspiring a victory. The Holy Spirit, the glory of God, the presence of God goes ahead of the people of God. The glory of God is on a mission. James 4 verse 8 says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Well, if you want to come close to God, you've got to go where he is. And God is on a mission. He's not just at the front of the church waiting for an appeal to be given for you to come to the front and to be prayed for. He's out in the world. He's busy. He's doing things in unlikely lives, in unlikely circumstances, and unlikely occasions. And when you go and you step into those situations, you see God at work. God is a mission God. And he hasn't given up on the nations. He hasn't given up on the UK. He hasn't given up on the Southwest. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's inviting you and I to go and meet him in that purpose, to follow him. And he promises he will be with us. He promises he will accompany us. Because he has a plan. You see, God's glory, as we looked at last week, is revealed in my solitude to me. God's glory is poured out through me and through others to one another through authentic communities. But God's glory is manifest to the world through movement, through going, through mission. As I've mentioned previously, the word disciple means follower. Now, you don't follow someone who's standing still. You stay next to them. But if you're going to follow Jesus, I want you to know that he's at work and he's moving. There are three ways we follow Jesus. The first is we follow him in the ways of salvation. There is only one way to God, and that's through the cross. Jesus declared really clearly there was no ambiguity. You can read it in the Greek. You can read it in whatever language you want. There's no ambiguity. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no ambiguity there. All roads do not lead to God. I don't care how well-meaning an individual is. You can only come to God through Jesus. So we follow God through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. But we also follow the lifestyle of Jesus. You remember those wristbands, what would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask if you want to be a follower of Jesus. What would he do? Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We'll look more at glory in worship next week. But this week, if we want to follow Jesus, we live like him. We say what he would say. We think what he would think. We form attitudes as he would form them. We do what he would do. That's what being a disciple is. It's not gathering in church services, singing songs, joining small groups, and reading your Bible every day. It's being like Jesus. That's what following means. And if there are areas of your life and my life that are far away from the life and the character and the ways of Jesus, then our responsibility and our role is to bring them before him in repentance and to ask his spirit to empower us to become like him. 
We are being transformed from glory to glory. We've already been given salvation. We do not earn our salvation. He has given his gift of grace freely. He extended his arms to the world and said, I love you and you can come to the Father through me. But we're saved. And the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in us to transform us. And we looked at last week that either our minds are deformed by the ways of this world or our minds are transformed by the renewing of God's word. So we follow Jesus through the way of salvation. We follow him through his lifestyle. But we also follow his heart. And his heart is mission. His heart is to go into all the world, the seven billion people who live on this planet, and to ensure that each of them has an opportunity to discover the glory of God for themselves. And just for these next few moments, I want to take us through just a well-known story in Acts 2, the birthday of the church, the place where the glory of God pours out through the people of God into the community around them. Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, it says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It's good to meet together, isn't it? It's good to be together. Um, You know, I know there's lots of people struggling to get back into community and all the sort of things post-pandemic. But I want you to know, you know, when the the writer in the New Testament said, don't forsake meeting together as summer is in the habit of doing, it's a really good affirmation to give. It's good to meet together. I don't know about you, but my faith levels build and grow when we're in the presence of other believers. We are sharpened, we're strengthened, we're encouraged, we're filled. We have an opportunity to express our corporate witness together and with one voice say there's no one like our God. It's good to meet together. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, everyone, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Who were these people? Well, they were people that not long prior to this had seen Jesus ascend into heaven miraculously. These were people that had seen the wounds in Jesus' hands as he walked through a locked door. These are the people that saw him crucified on the cross and his body taken down and three days later him resurrected. These were the people that knew that Jesus was real and his message was profound and transformative and yet God said to them through Jesus' words, don't run around the world until the Holy Spirit's come. You need the empowerment of the Spirit if you're going to do what the Spirit's doing. And so they were to be filled. The church is to be filled to overflowing with his glory. But then we notice that as he was filled, as these people were filled with the glory of God, that they didn't stay there. They didn't begin to build some altars and say, well, this is a great place. Let's put a plaque on the wall and let's stay here. That they spilled out. And the glory of God, when he fills the church, the church always goes out. It always gets out of the building. It's always called to go because that's what the Spirit of God is doing. He's not building monuments. He's building movements. And so the Spirit of God in the people of God. We read in verse 5, it says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. And then verse 11 says, And we all hear these people speaking in, their own, in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. See, when the Spirit of God fills our lives, 
We can't, if the disciples, after witnessing the resurrection firsthand, were not able to engage in the mission of God until they were filled by the Holy Spirit, then how much less can the church today make a difference for Jesus unless it's filled with the Spirit? We're not called just to have theological discourse. We're not called just to sing worship songs. We're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an additional benefit. The Holy Spirit is an essential requirement for the saints. The Holy Spirit, who now we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and some temples of the Holy Spirit are filled with all sorts of things in their life, but we're meant to be filled with Him. And the Holy Spirit wants to fill your life. He wants to fill His church. And the church in this nation is not going to reach this nation for Christ unless it is filled with the Spirit. It's impossible. We can go on apologetics courses. We can learn techniques of evangelism. We can go into the streets and do open airs. We can do all sorts of things. But without the Holy Spirit, we cannot reveal who Jesus is. We need Him. And they were filled. And it says that they began to speak in other, other languages. What's that about? I was never any good at languages at school. I, I remember I learned three different languages at school over a number of years. Um, I had lessons regularly on learning Welsh, that language which you all speak here, I'm sure, this morning. Um, but I remember, I don't remember, terrible, really bad. I don't remember much of it. I learned French. Um, I don't really remember much of that. I, I learned some German. I don't really remember much of that. I mean, I've never been particularly good with languages. But the moment I got filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, I was given a new language. And the Bible says some speak in the tongues of men and some speak in the tongues of angels. Here, we read there were people who visited from all sorts of places in Jerusalem, and they heard these people come out of this room where the Holy Spirit had filled them, and they heard them speaking in languages that they thought was bizarre because they thought, you're from this area, how would you know that language? And they were speaking in new tongues that they'd never learned, they'd never been to college, they'd never done a correspondence course, they had no clever app on their phone to teach them. They just simply, as an overflow of the Spirit in their life, they began to speak in another language. Some speak in tongues of men, and I've heard stories across the world of people who have spoken in tongues. They don't know what they're saying, but a tribe or some other person that has spoken that as their first language has understood them sharing the gospel and giving their lives to Jesus as a result. Heard of people that speak in languages that they find out that this is some old French dialect or it's some other, and they've never learned it. The Spirit of God has given them a new language. And you say, well, that sounds a bit bizarre. You're right, it does. If all there is in this world is our mind and our body and our soul, then it is, but, but it is a spirit. You're a spirit person. The Bible doesn't teach us that we're a body with a soul that has a spirit in there somewhere, but that we're a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. So why should it be bizarre that the Holy Spirit can fill our spirit and it begins to overflow and affect other parts of our lives? I'm so glad I speak in tongues. I don't know what language I speak. I think I've probably got a few different tongue languages that I speak. And one is just for worship and I just find that I'm able to speak in tongues and it's, it's expression. I know it's an expression in worship. I don't know what I'm saying. I've got another language I think that's for warfare, particularly when I go into intercessory mode. I notice my language changes and it just sounds different. And I've never learned them. I don't know what I'm saying. But I know that when I'm beginning to speak in those things, that my spirit, even though I don't know what to say is being stirred by his spirit and there's something happening and I don't know are you filled with the spirit are you baptized in the spirit do you have a heavenly language have you been given the gift of tongues you say do I have to have the gift of tongues to be baptized in the spirit well I don't know but I know that everyone can be filled with the spirit and if there's a if there's a gift going of a gift of tongues why would you not want it Maybe it's a control issue, is it? You don't want to say something that doesn't feel like it's under your control. Really? I get that. But I thought you'd given your life to Christ. I thought we were no longer our own. See, we battle control, don't we, in our own lives. And I want my life to be wholly his. I want to do what he 
does. I want to say what he wants to say. I want to be who he wants me to be. I want to go where he wants me to go. I want my life to be his. And they spoke in these other languages. Apostle Paul said, I speak in tongues more than any of you because it builds me up and it edifies me. Do you know every morning, Monday to Friday, we meet online 720 and we speak in tongues for just a few minutes together. Can't see everybody in their homes, but people tune in on Facebook and YouTube and they join us and we, speak, and we pray in tongues or in English and we just say, Holy Spirit, fill us because we need to be filled. But they get out of the building, they overflow with the Spirit of God, they get out of the building with His glory and then we read the church invites others to encounter his glory as well. In verse 36, it says, this is Peter speaking, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both the Lord and the Messiah. It says Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by our Lord Jesus, our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Praise God. This Peter that had previously been the denier of even knowing Jesus is now stood up in front of thousands of amazed people, giving the gospel boldly, calling them to repentance. That's what the Spirit of God does. The boldness of God comes upon the people of God. By the way, he talked about being baptized. If you've not been baptized in water, come on. Come on, church. Don't do it because your pastor says, but do it because Jesus calls you to go through the waters of baptism. You're not gonna, we're not, we won't let you stay under there. We'll bring you out because the symbolism doesn't work if you stay in there. You come out in newness of life. Come and get baptized if you've never been baptized before. Let us know in the office and we'd love to add you to the next baptismal service. Baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit. Church, there's an adventure for the people of God. We're not meant to stay still. The Spirit is moving. God is at work. And God has called us. It's called you, me, to be a community of disciples. Not a congregation. Not a gathering of people that have got things in common, and we talk about them. Not a group of people that just enjoy getting together and singing. But we're called to be a community of Jesus followers. That's, what, that's the church Jesus is looking for. People who will follow him in salvation, follow him in lifestyle, and follow him in mission. And there's glory in the mission. We long to draw near to his glory, to be like him, to follow him wherever he takes us. There are communities across the Southwest that I believe the Spirit of God is preparing and he's at work. It might be where you live or it might be where you're watching from. And the Spirit of God is at work behind the scenes to reveal something to reveal his power and his glory. And I love the, mo the way that Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he begins to explain to the people, this is that. This is what was promised. This is what's happening. I believe the Spirit of God is at work in communities and he is looking for people that will point in the communities and say, this is what God's doing. He's at work. Not point to ourselves. Church is not meant to be a place that points to us. It's not meant to be a place that points to what we do and say, isn't it great what we're about? It's meant to be a community that points to what he's doing. What's he doing in your community? What's he doing in your home? What's he doing in your life? How is he reshaping you with that hammer? 
What's he up to? I believe he's up to many things because he's a mission God. He's a God on the move. He's a God making a difference. And I believe he's looking for people who will be filled with him, overflow with him, will get out of the building with him, and will invite others to encounter his glory. Some months ago, I was reading biography by Barack Obama, former U.S. president. It's memoirs. And he was sharing a story in this book of when he was considering, in fact, he was being encouraged by some very good friends to run to become the Democratic Party candidate to become president of the U.S. And as his friends encouraged him to consider going for this, they calculated, because there was a lot of very clever, astute people around him, they calculated that if Barack Obama was going to have any chance of getting the Democratic candidacy, that there was one state in the U.S. that he needed to get the support of if he was going to stand a chance of getting the whole nomination. That was the state of Iowa. But also his friends, his statisticians, calculated that Iowa was known to be a very traditional voting place. That they would vote along traditional lines, and Hillary Clinton was another candidate that was standing for the Democratic nomination, and because her, um, her role, her life, her political history had been understood to be more traditional, that Iowa were more likely to vote for her than they were to vote for Barack. So they had to come up with a strategy, because they said, you cannot get this nomination if you don't win Iowa, but you can't win Iowa. So we're going to come up with a strategy. So they devised a strategy. They divided Iowa into about 126 states, 126 areas. In each area, they opened an office. And in each office, they employed a staff member. These staff members were people who had the vision for change in the nation that Barack Obama had. They believed in his politics. They believed in his vision for the US. But they were all people who were pretty naive with politics. They ranged from about 23 years of age to about 32 years of age. They weren't political hacks. They weren't people with loads of experience. They were a bit naive, to be honest, but they believed in the vision. And they were given this mandate, win people that don't normally do politics. And that's exactly what they did. They went to recruit people to politics that didn't normally engage with it. As a result of that, Barack Obama got, he won the support of the state of Iowa. And we know he went on to become the Democratic candidate, went on to become the U.S. president. But as I was reading that, I felt the Holy Spirit drop something into my spirit. You see, there are people like me that I've built a bit of experience now in ministry I've learned a few things about ministry and about life and how to run church and so on. And that maybe we might be tempted to look for people that have got similar experience, similar backgrounds, similar stories. But I believe God is saying, I'm looking for unlikelies. I'm looking for people who don't look like they've got necessary experience or the necessary background. Because if we carry on doing what we've always done, we'll carry on seeing what we've always seen. Church, I want to look at you in the eyes. And I want to say, it doesn't matter how much you write yourself off. It doesn't matter what season of life you're at. I believe God is inviting you to join his plan to reveal his glory. Of course, God has done that throughout the scriptures, hasn't he? We see that he even put the words in black and white that he chooses the foolish things of this world, the weak things. It's me, it's you, it's us. He chooses unlikely people and he also, he's present in unlikely moments. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was out with a friend in a restaurant an eating establishment, sounds a bit posh, calling, it, calling Wagamama's a restaurant, but that's where we were. And um, my friend's a leader of a church, and we were just sat there having a catch-up, and 
there's this really lovely young lady that was, um, she had a Northern Irish accent, and she was um, really helpful as the waitress that night to get our order, and she was brilliant. She did, a, she did the role brilliantly, and we got to know her a little bit, ask her what she's doing, and she's just in the process of finishing off a master's in music, and she wanted to become a composer, um, a conductor, and so we were just showing interest in what she was doing. And so we built up a bit of a rapport, and when she came to bring the bill, um, we um, said to her, do you have any idea what we do? And uh, she said, no. I said, well, we'll give you some guesses. So she said, well, you've shown interest in my music. Are you involved in something to do with music? And we said, well, actually, yes, we are. So, oh, that's interesting. Do you perform on stage? Well, we stand on stages, yeah. Um, are you involved behind the scenes? Yeah, we're, are, you, are you record producers? No, we're not record producers, but we are involved in producing some music. Um, do you do things in front of the camera? Yeah, we do things in front of the camera. And she went on with this long list, and the more questions she asked, the more confused she was getting because she could not work out what we did. And we said, hey, listen, do you want to know what we do? She, and she really wanted to know right now. We'd lured her in. And we said, well... We're both ministers of two churches. She goes, no, how do you fit all that stuff in? What's the music bit? And so we're explaining about our sort of churches that we lead. And there, just after we'd tipped her, and we said, hey, Jesus loves you. Could we pray for you? And there she was, stood in the middle of this restaurant that she was working at, customers all around. She said, I'd love that. Would you pray for me now? So that's what we meant. Yeah, we'd love to. And so we, just in the middle of this restaurant, we begin to pray. And you could just see it touching her heart. She said, you've got no idea what that means. Here we were in the middle of Wagamama's, sensing the presence of God, because he doesn't live in here. He's always on the move. He was preparing her. He was with her that day, working behind the scenes, ready for his people to describe, this is that. This is what I'm doing. And there are people like her right outside those doors right now. In your workplace this week. In your neighborhoods. People that you'll pass on the school gate. People that you'll have conversations with on video calls. People that you'll phone this week. He is at work in their life. And he's looking for people to say, this is that. Unlikely people, unlikely moments, unlikely communities. Just as we come to a close, some years ago, I was on one of my retreat days in Dartmoor. I was sat next to a stream in the middle of nowhere. There was no one around. There was a few of the Dartmoor donkeys but I just had my Bible open, had my journal open. And as the sound of this water just trickled down this stream, I was just opening my heart to the Lord, and I felt God speak to me. And he said that he wanted me to step down from some national ministries I was involved in because he wanted to do something in the Southwest that needed my full attention. So I said, yes, God. Now, in a few weeks' time, it will be um, our near my eight-year anniversary since being here. We've never lived that long in almost 30 years of marriage in one location. We've never lived that long in one location since we've been married. And what, what an eight years it's been. Some of you, maybe your first time today, you may not know any of this story, but God has been so gracious. I remember the pain of a disappointing season that this church had been going through eight years ago. Hasn't God been so beautiful? Hasn't his healing been wonderful? Isn't, he, isn't his grace just beautiful just to watch and behold? 
And over those eight years, God has been so kind. We've not deserved it. As a church, we haven't got it all together, have we? And if you just recently joined us and you think this church looks like they've got it all together, then sorry, you're going to be disappointed because we haven't. But I do believe we've got a heart to follow after the Spirit of God. And I think we've done that eight years. And it feels like year after year we've grown. People have been added to us. People have been one for Christ. This week at our Alpha comedy night, we had 11 people sign up to do Alpha in the next few weeks. I think that's better news than that. It's great. People have come and gone and been released into all sorts of things and all sorts of nations that God's doing. It's been a really blessed time. But it's quite possible that you've joined because it feels like there's life and it's growing, it's movement. Maybe you, you know, that, that sense of, they always say the only person who's pleased when a church building is full is a pastor because everyone else just thinks they can't get a seat. But the reality is, it does fill us with a bit of life, doesn't it, when we know that something's going well. And maybe, maybe there might be something a bit intoxicating about that. But I want to announce to you that I believe the future, we're continually going to be sending people out. In the future, you know, we love a new building. We believe God spoke to us about a new building, and we keep praying for a new building. But I don't believe we're going to build this sort of beautiful auditorium. There'll be all sorts of aspects around a new building that we get. But, you know, I almost see the walls being made of drapes that we can keep as, as, as more people are added to us and give their lives to Christ and become followers of Jesus, that we stretch the walls out, we pull the tent curtains wider, and then we send hundreds of people out to plant churches, and we pull the, the walls back in again, and then we rebuild, and we just, you know, reach more people for Christ, and then we release more people, and we keep, it's almost like a squeeze box, really, the walls of this building. I believe that's what God's calling us to be, because he's not called us to settle, because he's at work. The Spirit of God is a mission God, and he's calling his people to go, not to stay. Now, I'm not saying leave, rediscover. I'm saying that God is calling us to follow his mission, not to be bored and sit in rows. The Spirit of the Lord is chastening us to follow him. Earlier this year, we launched the Church Planning Academy. We got 20 students on the Church Planning Academy when we launched. And these are people that some have already moved, relocated to this area to be a part of planting new churches. Others are waiting upon God as to where they're going to start this. I think in the next 12 months, we could see between four and six new churches planted. And you know, when that happens, we're going to have some key people say, I'm going to go be part of the church plant. And it might be that some weeks we don't have musicians because they're all planting somewhere. If you've joined the church because of the good music, at that point, you're going to say goodbye, eh? But if you've joined because God's calling his people to follow him, to follow what he's doing, to reach the nation for Jesus, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, if that's why you've joined, then you've got an adventure ahead. But if it's just because of this, then you might be a bit disappointed. And I don't believe this is a message for a specialist few. It's for you. I'm going to close with what I think is some of the saddest words in the Bible. It's found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30. Look at these words that God speaks through the prophet. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. And look at the immense tragedy in these next few words. But I found no one. Let us sink in. No one. It's the Spirit of God this morning inviting you to join Him on mission And our hearts say no. In a church of hundreds, 
Can he not find one? I believe the Spirit of God is looking for you to follow him, to discover his glory in mission. Let's pray together. There's a nudge taking place in your heart. That nudge is the Holy Spirit inviting you to a bigger vision. It's a bigger vision than your career. It's a bigger vision than your business. It's a bigger vision than the hopes for your family. It's a vision to follow him. There's a song that came out in the 80s that had these simple words. It says, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. If your response in your heart is, here I am, Lord. Send me. Can I invite you as I sing this? As you become familiar with it, join in with me. But as I sing it, if your heart responds to yes, I want to follow you. I want to follow you in your adventures and in your mission. Would you stand and just lift your hands and surrender to the Lord? says this the fields are white 
and to harvest. But oh, the laborers are so few. So Lord, I give myself to help the reaping, to gather precious souls unto you. Let's sing, here I am. Holy Spirit fill us Holy Spirit may we follow you every conversation you open up this week may we follow after your glory may we discern what your spirit's doing in rooms that we're going to be present in this week Precious Jesus. So in this holy moment, this moment of consecration, hallowed ground like the moment when Mo Moses heard out of the bush you calling him to an assignment there are assignments going out from the spirit everywhere in this room and online right now we metaphorically take the sandals off our feet and we come close to your voice Now, Father, I commission the saints, these followers of Jesus, these men and women with the authority of God in their lives, I commission them to go and bear fruit this week, to reveal your glory in mission. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you just in these next few moments to, in your conversations, in your discussions, to just encourage one another in the flow of God and the things he's doing. Don't lose what we touched on last week as well. I think last week was one of the most responsive moments I've ever seen to any challenge I've ever set out where it was walk across the room, go and meet people who are not like you, introduce yourself. And I was so proud of your church, the way you did that. Capture that today again and encourage one another in mission. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye.